I was encouraged last night. I was doing some reading, and I read this little blurb from E.M. Bounds. How many of you know who E.M. Bounds is? If you don't know who he is, you should go online, pick up a book of his. If you believe that God moves through prayer, his writings over the years have really helped me to kind of get it and get why there's such a value to prayer. When we say prayer is the engine of the church, you go, okay, we hear that, but what does that mean? There's a passage of scripture in, in uh, I think it's Psalm 115, verse maybe 16 or something. It says this, the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to man. So, you know, we, we were given this world that we live in to live out a way that would reflect who God is and to glorify him in all that we do. In relationship with him, we'd be able to shape this world in a way that would honor him. But we all know that sin has thrown the thing off and in our own lives, it's made a mess in the lives of the people that we know and the world that we're in, all the troubles that we see. It's the result of just sin. And so Jesus came into the world to conquer that sin, to conquer sin, to conquer the follow through of it, death. And he took from Satan the keys that we abdicated, the authority, the power to to rule as man over this world that we gave up because we chose to not listen to God and do things the way that we wanted, which resulted in God respecting it and backing out and the power vacuum that was created, an enemy steps in who has more power than us and he begins to do what he does best, bring destruction. But with Jesus, we have hope because Jesus has taken the keys back and Jesus has given those keys over to us, the people that follow him, his disciples. And the church that he's built, no force in hell can come against and prevail over the the church that God has established. Amen? But the question becomes, what kind of a force are we in the world? And are we shaping the world in a way that brings about an honor to Jesus that's worthy of all that he is and all that he's done? My hope in this new year is we as a church, we as individuals, we actually take to heart. Like, I'm so grateful that you're here. When I read that last night, it stopped me in my tracks, that little quote by Ian Bounds. God, he, he only shapes the world through our prayer. God can do anything, but he's chosen to partner with you and I. He's chosen to give us this awareness that, like, you now, as my children have been given authority, to come to me. And imagine, he gives us an open throne, and he says, come boldly. It has nothing to do with who you are or what you've done. Would you boldly come into my presence and ask me for anything? And anything in my name I'll do. What? That's like the most amazing truth ever. We have this opportunity tonight for God to shape our lives. For God to shape the world. We just prayed for some football player we don't know. For people connected to him. For anyone in the country. I was praying not just for them. I was praying for anybody in the country that's in a similar situation where they are confronted with the reality of eternity, that God would turn it and begin to use it, whether it's in this country or people anywhere in the world, and begin to provoke them that eternity is in their heart and one day they're going to see Jesus. Do I actually believe that God's going to use that prayer to bring about that in the lives of people I don't know? I absolutely believe it with all of my heart. And here's the truth. The more we believe that, the more we get not just amped up in some emotional way to come to pray together, we, we start to go, wait, God is going to do something amazing. He's going to do something great. And the greatness of that really depends upon the outlook that we have toward it. And I'm just saying, I'm grateful that you're here tonight. I, I'm grateful that we can look to the word of God and we're going to have a second call on him for something that I think is his heart for our lives in this new year. God's calling us to see what he does. You'll understand what that is in a second. But before we jump 
into what that is, I want to ask you for a moment to just, this new year, we're stepping out of an old year, stepping into a new, like spiritually it really doesn't mean anything, but because we're living in time and space and there's a calendar that we go by, new years always bring about the hope of a new beginning. Every day is a new beginning with Jesus though, amen? But the Bible does say to you and I that we are supposed to, from time to time, evaluate where we are in our faith. So take a second and evaluate maybe where you've been in this past year. Have you seen Jesus do some pretty amazing things in your life? I have. Have you seen him not do some pretty amazing things? And that's a trick question. Everybody's like, how do I answer that? Yeah, the answer to that is, yeah, you've left stuff on the table. So have I. There are those moments where I've engaged God and I've trusted him and he's been so faithful and he's given breakthrough. And then there are those moments where I've just kind of coasted. You know, I'm a pastor, so here's the true confessions. Don't think less of me for being real with you. I've gotten up in the morning. I've gone out the door. I've gone to my job, and I've just done it. No different than you. I've been caught up. I've been tired. I've been beat down. And it just, from time to time, you can just kind of go through the mechanics of it. There's no real faith involved. It's just kind of you coast. What does God do with coasting? Faith is the only thing that gives him the ability to be faithful to us, right? That's why, apart from faith, it's impossible to please him. So as you look back over this past year and you size it up and you say, God, thank you for the great things that you did, and then you might look in the mirror like I've done and go, ooh, but those were some days that I wish I could delete. There were some seasons where I wish I could just have taken a different approach. No condemnation in it. But I want to focus on something tonight that will help us to set our course right as we go into this new year so that we get out of it everything that God purposes for us to do. Do you know, it says this in Ephesians in the second chapter in the 10th verse, it says that before the foundations of the earth, God created you and I to do good works, to do things that would express the wonder and the beauty and the marvel of all that he is. He actually set your life apart so that as you walk out these days that he's purposed for you in this next year, as you fulfill those days, he's with you, and through it, he gets, uh, he gets to express his life out of you, and as a result, Jesus gets to be seen. I can't believe that I get to be a part of that. That I know him is one thing, but that I get to be a part of living and working for him in a way that allows him to be seen? Oh, my goodness. We are an incredibly privileged people, aren't we? Are you grateful that you've got good works that God, before you ever walk into them, has set apart for you? Well, here's what I want to do tonight. I want to look at this scripture, and I want to begin, not just when we get to the end of the year, look back and go, you know, God did some good things. I see what God did. I want to get us to a place where we're filled with God in a way, like Jesus was. Is Jesus our example for faith? We call ourselves Christians, so we're Christ followers, which means we look to him for the way that we approach our lives. And do you know that Jesus said he could only do what the Father showed him? That's a little mysterious, isn't it? Because, like, Did I wake up this morning and the Father gave me an agenda and showed me everything that was going to happen and then I just kind of walked into it? Did anybody in here have that? Because if you have, you should be up here preaching. But there's a practical, I don't see any hands going up. So we're all kind of stymied by that. Like, what does that actually mean? If Jesus could only do what the Father showed him, then how does that apply to my life? Is there application to my life? And if so, what does it look like as I live it out in real time? Well, let's look at it together. 
The passage is found in John in the fifth chapter. And the context is Jesus has come to one of the holy days in Jerusalem. And while he was there, he walks into this area where people were invalid and they were paraplegics and they couldn't move and they would live by this pool that they would hope to get into because if the, they said the waters were stirred, people could find healing and they would be able to be freed of their condition. So Jesus kind of, in an indiscreet way, walks in, walks up to a guy who's 38 years living as an invalid on a mat can't move, has to be carried to this place to hope for a miracle to happen. But when Jesus approaches him, he's like, hey, buddy, you, you want to you wanna walk? You want to be healed? And the guy, after 38 years of being discouraged, is like, whatever. Like, no, yeah, I, I, everybody rushes in there before me. I, I, everybody's ahead of me. And Jesus has an exchange with him. Pick up your mat and walk. Happens to be on a Sunday, and so Jesus kind of gets himself in trouble, but it was an intentional thing. A guy 38 years paralyzed gets up and walks out. Everybody knew who the guy was if they spent any time in the temple. They saw this guy all the time, begging for money, looking for healing. They knew him, and then when they see him get up and walk out like, what in the world? Well, teachers of the law go, you're not supposed to be able to, why are you carrying the mat? They're not blown away that this guy just received some impartation of grace. Like you would think you'd be like, what in the world? You got healed 38 years. That's amazing. No, you're carrying a mat. Who dares? How, how dare you do that? The guy's like, whatever, I'm walking. Who told you to carry the mat? I have no idea. It was just some guy. I don't know. Could have been an angel, but it was somebody just came and I, I exchanged with him, and it was different. So he, he intentionally stirred the waters with him. He, he, forget about the waters and the pool being stirred. He was stirring the waters of the, the hearts of the legalists who really thought they understood God but were so far from him. So he walks away. The stir starts, and Jesus comes back to the guy. He finds him in the temple, and he says, Hey, buddy, it was me, Jesus. Like, I'm the one that healed you. So the guy goes and tells the the people, the teachers of the law, it was a guy named Jesus. Oh, thanks. And now they get nasty with Jesus. They start to challenge him. They start to question him. They, they want to say, how dare you do anything on a Sabbath? He's like, the Sabbath? I made the Sabbath. You, do you understand who you're talking to? Like, you guys search the scriptures, and I'm the guy you're looking for. I'm here. Let's talk. But they're not interested in talking. They're just angry because it's not fitting the way that they want their life to be. So Jesus, he begins to respond to him. He says this, starting in verse 19. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. Say that with me. The son can do nothing by himself. Okay. He goes on to say he does only... What he sees the Father doing. He can only do what he sees the Father do. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. So the Father loves the Son. And because he loves him, he shows him what his heart is for the moment, for the situation, for his life, for the lives of others. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Maybe those greater works were 
other people being healed. Maybe it was Lazarus being resurrected from the dead. But I would say the greatest work of all is Jesus hanging on a cross. Jesus on a cross taking the sin that we deserve, the punishment that we deserve. He took it upon himself. And in that act, the greatest miracle of all, the opportunity for new life was imparted. Now, you and I are here today as recipients of that new life. And it's because we have that life. This is where I want to just take a few minutes to focus on just simple things. But the simple things are always the most challenging. I once read a book, and a guy in the book was making a point. He was saying, the further you move away from simplicity, the further you move away from God. We like to get deep. We like to take all the different angles on revelation, which is fine. We have to do Bible study. I like to do that. But my challenge isn't so much trying to figure out amillennialism, whatever the dispensations are. My challenge is, am I trusting Jesus for the moment that I'm in? Which brings me to the point that I want to lead off with, which is Jesus saying, I can do nothing by myself. Say that again with me because it's the most important part of everything I'm going to say tonight. Let's say it together. I can do nothing by myself. Now, I'm not going to say it. I want you to say it. You say it now. Because three times is always the way you read things in the Bible. If God's trying to make a point, one last time. You can do nothing by yourself. I can do nothing by myself. But isn't that the challenge of life? You know, the most arrogant reality is this, and it's deception. Pride is just, I got this. I got this, God. When I get up in the morning and I'm like behind the, the, the clock and I've got my kids, I, I stayed up too late, maybe it was even reading the Bible and I, you know, I, I can't get up early in the morning to get the food that I need, the sustenance to be able to go with my day so I'm strong in them. So, oh my gosh, I got to make the kids breakfast, I got to make their lunch, I got to drive them to school, I got 12 appointments at, at work, like, oh, I, I, I just got to go, I just got to go. Do you know the arrogance of that? Oh, no, Pastor, you were just a little tired. I mean, cut yourself some slack. If it's a one-off, okay. How about two days in a row? How about three days in a row? How about three weeks in a row? How about three months in a row? Because most of us have more of a challenge with coming to the terms with, I literally can't do anything by myself. Now, I might have some naysayers in here who maybe don't buy into the whole spiritual truth I'm trying to impart. And you go, listen, I got on the train. Where was Jesus? Maybe you're not a Christian. If you're a Christian, I would say he's with you, whether you sense him or not. But I would say, how did you walk to the train? The Bible says that Jesus made everything that is, whether it's things seen, whether it's things unseen. Everything he made for himself. goes on to say that he sustains everything goes on to say that he's given us all that we have inwardly. Like what you have today, you got a job, you can make some money, you think it's because you're so smart. How about it's because of God is so smart and he gave you the brain that he gave you so that you can do what you can do. How about you, you got two legs to get you here, you're not a paraplegic, God's given you strength so that you could get from one point to another. You could say, really? No, really. God gave you that strength and he could take it from you in a moment. Whether you think you can do anything or not by yourself is irrelevant. The reality is you can't. The deception is, in our pride, we actually go, I got it. I can do it. And we might be able to accomplish a few things that don't mount up to much that makes a difference in eternity. But I promise you this, whatever is going to last is only going to come out of the loving relational connection that you keep with Jesus. 
Because anything done, giving money, your life to the flames, whatever it might be, it counts as a big zero if it's not coming out of intimacy with Jesus. I can do nothing by myself. You can do nothing by yourself. Humility is the awareness that God is the beginning and the end and everything in between. And my life is about looking at him and whatever that means and trusting him for how that meets me where I am right now in my life. Jesus, to make the point, said, greatness before God looks like this. It's a little kid. Little kids are cute. That's what makes them great. No, they're dependent. That's what makes them great. Dependency. I can't do anything by myself is where life begins. See, whatever we're going to do in this next year where our lives might reflect who Jesus is, it won't even begin to register if we don't have the same outlook as him. And he, by the way, he was God, and he was perfect in his humanity. And if in perfection and humanity, he still could do nothing apart from communion with his Father, then how much more true is this for you and I? And here's where you know if you're actually living it out. How do you know you're living in dependency upon him? Maybe you came in here and you're weary and you're heavy laden and you're broken down and you're battered by the realities of life. Wouldn't Jesus say to that, come, I'll give you rest. If you're worn out and beat down and you have no rest tonight, maybe you're, you, can theolog- you can theologize, I can do nothing by myself. But the truth is, like I've done so many times, I got this. And what God's trying to do through it is break you and get you to a point where you realize you can't do one thing apart from him. And that's actually a gift. It's a blessing. The greatest place that you can arrive at in life is when you wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, like I need you today, not for a devotional. I need you because I can't do it without you. I know what comes out of me if I try. Nothing good. Nothing eternal. Nothing lasting. Maybe you came in here and you don't have peace. You don't have joy. You don't really have a loving affection to want to be patient with people and cover over their sin. Listen, all these things would be indicators that you're really not like Jesus in total dependence on the Father because those are the byproducts of what he gives when you and I are. Can I get an amen with that? So look back over your life. Look back over 2022 and now catalog. Ooh, there was a lot that I left on the table. There was a lot that I left on the table. No shame to any of you. I'm just being real. I don't want to leave anything on the table in 2023. I want everything to play out the way God, before the foundations of the earth, before I ever took my first breath, has purpose for me to live. I want to be the expression of whatever the grace is that operates through my life for the works that he set apart for me to do. Oh, I want Jesus to be glorified. I want him to be able to be seen. Not just because I want the blessing, but because he deserves the honor. Amen? Now, How, again, do you know if you're really in that position of I can do nothing on my own? Well, it kind of says it here. There's just a couple of verses, but it says, For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he is doing. Now, first part is there's got to be this disposition of humility which says, Jesus, you're everything. That's got to be the thing that we springboard off into to even begin to understand what it means to see what he wants to show. He wants to show you things. He wants to show you how to live more like him in 2023. He wants to show you that. 
You go, how do I see these works that he wants to do? How can I be like Jesus and, and walk through my days and say, you know, I'm, I'm living out what he showed me. That sounds really kind of spiritual and sort of nebulous. It's like out there and tangible. What does that mean? It's very, it's very practical. Jesus, how do I know? I, I understand that I can do nothing. I live it out like Jesus did. Jesus, the things that he said, if you go through and you do a study from Genesis to Malachi, and you say, what did Jesus actually, when he was teaching and he was preaching and he was using illustrations and he was referencing people's lives, did, did he actually preach from the Old Testament? He knew that like as the back of his hand. He fed on it. He was the word of God, but in his flesh, in his humanity, like you and I, he, he set aside his divine prerogative, and he had to grow into understanding the Father's heart the same way you and I did. That's why he's our example. When he came in the flesh and dispossessed, dispossessed himself of all that he is as God, he took on flesh, and he put himself in the same position that you and I have to walk through. So you and I, if we're going to understand and begin to see who God is, we got to go to the word. I got to feed on the word of God. The word of God has got to be the thing more than anything else in the day, an agenda that you come up with, uh, meetings that you need to have. It's the, the word of God is the opportunity for you and I to meet the living God. It's, it's a written in page and ink expression of his heart. I'm not just feeding on some words and ideas. I'm understanding the, the very heart of my, my father. And when I begin to understand that, and I begin to understand I can do nothing apart from myself. And left to me, my mind goes nuts. My mind, you, listen, every one of you, like me, were nuts. I don't care how sophisticated you are. You got glasses on. You got a PhD after your name. You're still crazy. You're crazy. And what makes you crazy is sin. Sin doesn't respect the PhD. We're nuts. What makes us sane isn't more study. What makes us sane is the word of God. It's the standard of truth that God has laid down and said, this is the plumb line. If you're not on it, you're nuts. And left to yourself, we're nuts. And God is saying, no, I need you to, I need you to understand. Feed upon the words of life. Come to me, understand my heart so that I can begin to help you to walk sane and straight. Otherwise, we're meandering all over life and it gets really ugly. So practically speaking, how does God begin to show us what to do? Well, you'll never have sight to do anything in 2023 if you don't understand his heart. But it's not just intellectualized. See, this is where there's a big difference between knowing and knowing. Once met a guy in Africa, I don't want to talk too long about this, but it's a good illustration and it makes a really good point. He was a fellow that got saved. He's got a PhD now in theology. He got saved because there was a plane flying overhead in his village and he and his brother, uh, when this plane landed by a bush pilot missionary, they landed the plane and when they landed the plane, the guy, he, he wasn't even supposed to stop. He was passing over the village and he felt like the spirit of God prompted him and say, stop, get down there. I need you to preach the gospel. He's like, I don't even know if this group of people, this tribe in this area, even knows the language that I know. But in obedience, he stopped. He landed. They understood it. He preaches the gospel to them, and a 14- and a 15-year-old kid gets saved. And when they get saved, the guy goes, after a couple of days, I'm out of here. Here's a Bible. You guys can read, right? And yeah, we can read. Well, you're now the pastors of this little group of people in this little village. Get together once a week, as many times as you want, read a passage of scripture and begin to talk about who Jesus is and, and begin to call on him for what he says he'll do. Now, they don't know anything about anything. They, they, they only have the spirit of God teaching them and leading them, and they trust in it. And as they do it, they go, oh, Jesus, 
opens up blind eyes. So, hey, there's a blind person over there. Let's go pray for him. Jesus, do what you say you do. They trusted him for it, and guess what he did? He did it. I know there's people who are cynical and are like, oh, I don't know about that. I've been over there, I've talked to people that have been affected by their ministry, and it's really a remarkable story of, of how God took these young teenage boys and began to work through them in such a special way. Well, they got to a point where they said, as they're reading through the scriptures, they get to Matthew 28, you got to go and you got to preach this to other people. Oh, so let's go to the village over there. So they go to this village over there, and before they know it, after a couple of years, they're making circles to villages where they're now these pastors teaching people about who Jesus is, and just in a very simplistic, rudimentary way, just this is what he said, this is what he'll do, let's trust him for it, and he came through. By the time they're 18, the word starts to get around, like God's done a special work in this part of Ethiopia. So people come in, and they kind of size them up, these guys with degrees, and they go, hey, listen, you guys need to go to Bible school. Guy goes to Bible school. Okay, what do I know? Like, I don't know anything. You don't know anything. We don't see that here. We don't see that in, like, the places that produce seminarians that come out of America. Like, we talk about it. We can understand it. We can rationalize it. But these guys were seeing it played out regularly. But now somebody comes in and goes, no, you've got to understand something about God. I think they understood a few things. So it goes from that to after they finish that, now you need to go to seminary. Now you need a Ph.D., and now one the, my friend is now the head of a denomination in Ethiopia. He's like got a really important position. And every time I'm there, he's like, hey, Brian, you need me to drive you around? I'm like, okay. And I, and I go to these little pastors' meetings and try to do the best that I can to encourage them and pray with them and really be inspired by them. That's why I actually go. I, I go to try to do something, but I bring back more than I, I think I leave. And um, why do you keep driving? Like, dude, you got things to do. Why are you hanging out with me? He goes, well, you're good company, but what I really like is the places that we go because this brings me back to where I started. He goes, you know, Brian, now I've gotten so smart for God that I don't see this anymore. Now I've got all this responsibility and all this influence, and I had more weight in God as a teenager than I do as a 55-year-old man who knows so much. I thought, that is an indictment, not just against Forget about seminarians. I read the Bible all the time. I've read so many books about the things of God that I can look at an argument and go, okay, this is what one position says, this is what another position says, and this is what I think about it. It means nothing. What means something isn't what you know. What means something is it alive and real in you. It's got to be real in you or else it means nothing. And here's the second part of it. So why do I feed on the Word of God? Because in feeding on the Word of God, it stimulates my heart to understand what He's like so that I'll not just sit and contemplate it and go, well, that's a good thought. Like, the Bible says I'm supposed to meditate on it. Meditate means to, like, chew like a cow. So, hmm, that's a very interesting position. And God's going, no, I want you to think about it because I want you to understand there's application to where you are. I want you to apply what I'm showing you, which is, another way of learning. It's another way of being shown. It's one thing if I sit with Anne Marie and I go, hey, listen, this is what the Bible says about peace. And I might quote to her some passages of Scripture about what peace is supposed to be. But do you know I have a much different place in, 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 a, in a way of imparting that truth with weight behind it if I've learned how to get that peace for myself? So how do you begin to see what God's calling you to do in 2023. You'll never do it apart from the Word of God. You've got to get alone with Him. You've got to take it in. But then it's not just to like 
intellectualized. It's, it's to be taken in, to be applied to your life. When it's applied to your life, it becomes alive. And it becomes, no, this isn't just a thought. This is real. This is who God is. This is what he wants to do. And if he could do this for me, I know who I am. If he could do this for me, oh my goodness, who could he not do this for? Because I know me. I'm crazy. We're all nuts. And if he can make us sane and see the truth in a way that becomes alive, oh my goodness, now, now we're beginning to see things. It's not just so that, okay, I know I need him. So I know I need to read the Bible. Can I just stop for a second and say this? Because that, that, oh, we got to fight against that. That becomes so religious. It becomes like the obligation of I've got to read the word of God. It's the manna of God. It's the food of life. I've got to eat it or else I'm going to die. It's got to be. No. He wants to show me. He loves me. He wants to show me his ways. Why did God save you? Because he loves you, and he made you for his love, and his word reveals to you what he's like, and he's inviting you in, saying, would you come? I love you. If you'll take time with me, I will make this real to you. I will show you amazing things, great and mighty things you'll begin to see. As you see it, and you begin to trust me for it, I'll make it real to you, so that my love begins to command you. And you're commanded in such a way that it leads to this. Whatever the father does, the son also does. That's the end of it. God is saying, depend on me. Come to me. You need me. You don't even know I have a clue about life. I'll show you what it is. Understand, I, I want to I imagine, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he's give, we don't have to figure this out on our own. He's given us his spirit. His spirit is the one inside of us who is the revelation of Jesus, who is the teacher, who's the comforter, who's the one that leads us and guides us in the way that we're supposed to go. And if we're clueless, he's the one, if you'll depend upon him, that'll give you wisdom for whatever the situation might be. It's not even you and I doing it. It's just us yielding to this beautiful thing that we've been included in. And all we have to do is position ourselves for it. Like, I know I need this. And oh my goodness, he's going to show me so many incredible truths. He's going to show me his heart. And not just in ideas and concepts, but in reality, in the way that it meets me in my life. When you see that, here's where it ends. My brothers and sisters, I'm, I'm praying that this message grips you. I'm praying that it grips me. Like, in a way, it's never gripped me. In the new year, I want to see in the life of you, in the life of me, in the life of this church, an expression of Jesus that would capture the, the world and make them go, what? How could a God be that good? Well, it's seen in the deeds that he, he does through his people. Why would somebody invite somebody into their home that is in that kind of a condition? Well, because God showed them. His love. And they have to obey that love. See, Jesus said, you're you're judging me right now for what's being done? Then you're judging God because I have to do what he does. I'm just reflecting to you his heart. He's always at work. He can't stop. A Sabbath, a Sunday, it doesn't matter. What matters are the, the lives of people in need. And I want to do great and mighty things through you. You think 38 years as an invalid is impressive? I think that's incredible. But what's more impressive is that a a sinner would come to repentance. That somehow through my life, if I could somehow reach out and touch somebody through the works God's calling me to do, that that would capture them and make them go, that's not them. That's something more. 
I go, it is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He loves you. Will you trust him? And what comes out of that is God stirs their heart and they open up their life. Eternity. Shed abroad in the heart of a person. My brothers and sisters, that's what we're here for. This is, a, this is a challenge to you and I in that God wants to shape your heart and shape my life and I'll never be happier than when I am in him and I'm everything I'm supposed to be. That's where I'm functioning in an optimum way. But in that place, that's where my life becomes his force in this world. That's where this church becomes his force in this world to affect change because there's people, listen, you sit beside somebody or is there an empty seat? Emory, there's somebody God wants to bring in here and have you encourage. But when the Bible says, how do we pray for the, the harvest? Pray for the workers. This is a prayer for us today. If you're here today and this spoke to you in some way, it spoke to me, I'm holding the microphone, but I'm the first one standing. If you're in a position where you say, oh my goodness, Jesus, like never before, I need you. Like, I'm desperate for you. My heart might not be gripped the way that this guy's talking about it so passionately, but I know it's true, and I know I need that. That's what I want to be in this new year. Like Jesus, I can do nothing. But boy, as I draw into his presence, as I feed upon his word, as I trust him for what that means to my life, it's going to help me to know him and to know his love in a way that is going to compel me. I'll have to run into the world in obedience and fulfill the work that he called me to do. If you're here today and you're saying, I want to pray right now. Prayer is this way we shape our lives and through it the world will be shaped. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to stand up right now. I'm going to ask you to come forward. We are going to pray, God, make us desperate like never before. If you want to be more desperate in 2023 than you were in 2022, then join me down here. I want to be more desperate. God is going to be faithful. God, we thank you for the truth of your word tonight. And God, we thank you for how you would apply it to our hearts. Spirit of the living God, we know you're at work. Our flesh wouldn't provoke us to become desperate for you. An enemy wouldn't provoke us to become desperate for you. God, thank you that you're working in us. And as we yield to that work tonight, we say, God, help us today like never before. Ignite something in us. It's a work that you have to do. Spirit of the living God, come like never before and provoke in your people a desperation. We prayed for a revival earlier, but revival will never come until people seek you with all of their heart. It's then your word says that they find you. God, help us. God, help us to be desperate in that way, to seek you with all of our heart, to not go by how we feel or what we think, to not live in the insanity of what this world would say truth is and reality might be. God, you've given us your word. Now, Lord, tonight we ask you as we ask you to stir our hearts. Lord, we're going to draw near to you through your word. God, as we begin to take your word in, God, would you open up our eyes? You've given us your spirit that it might begin to instruct us in what it means and how to apply it to our life. God, help us to understand. But Lord, with each day that you give us, help us as the Prince of Peace who says be anxious about nothing. Help us to trust you for how that peace is received into our life. 
Not just in an idea, but God, in practice and faith and calling on you and walking with you. Make it real, Lord. Make your peace alive to us if that's what the need is. Whatever the application, Jesus, we ask you to stir us and teach us and make real the truths of all that you are. God, that as we go about our day and we go in one week into the next, into this new year, there's each day there's works you've appointed for us. There's things that you've called us to do. God, give us eyes today. This is where the mystery of this comes together. Give us eyes to begin to see what you're calling us to do. And then God, in obedience, help us to follow through and do and execute all that you would put before us without reservation, without intimidation. Give us a holy boldness, God, to be obedient, to do if it's to pray for somebody that needs healing because we've received healing. You've made it alive to us. God, help us to apply it to other people's lives. Help us to see that's what you're calling us to do. Whatever it might be, Lord. We take our lives and we consecrate them to you today. Do in us, do through us all that you intend. That Jesus, we don't ask for our benefit, that anybody would take notice of us. We ask that your name would be glorified. It's your glory that we seek. It's a revelation of who you are from on high that we want to see made real here in this earth. The world needs you, Jesus. Help us. Help us to be a people that reflect you in an honorable way to the world that you've called us to. But go in peace. May God be with you. He is with you. Draw near to him in this next week and see what he'll do in you and through you. That his name be glorified. God bless you.